Welcome to the Uplifting Podcast. Today, we talk to Allison Stockton, who is a health and wellness coach who has overcome so much in her life and is now empowering other women to do the same. We talked to her about recovery through anorexia, bulimia, and orthorexia, and how her own emotional health almost killed her. We also talk about the prevalence of eating disorders and body image issues in the fitness community and what inspired her to change her career from helping people change externally to helping them heal internally. Now let's get into the episode. Hey y'all, it's Randy. There is a trigger warning for this episode. If you are listening to this episode and you feel triggered, please just go ahead and skip forward to the next incredible episode. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to the Uplifting Podcast with your host, Randy and Catherine. This is a space for powerful women to share their story and to be real and raw about the truth of living your life's purpose. Any topic is fair game. We check gossip at the door so we can focus on building community and collaboration. This podcast will help you discover your individual power and give you the tools to live your most uplifted life. So let's find out what's uplifting you today. Welcome to the Uplifting Podcast. Today we have Allison and she is the founder of Vibrant Balanced Health and she is a health and wellness lifestyle coach. She is committed to helping women connect to their physical and emotional well-being, especially with female entrepreneurs. So welcome to the podcast, Allison. Thanks guys. It's amazing to be here. Thank you. It's it's so good to have you. So we would love just to dive right into your story and learn more about how you became a health and wellness lifestyle coach and how you're impacting women today. Oh, it's a, it's been a long old journey. I think I've been doing this more, uh, more of my life than I haven't. Um, Mm -hmm. I kind of started when I was 21 as a fitness instructor and um, personal trainer. And as I went into that, I really had massive body image issues. And actually, I, I realized the other day they started when I was seven as a ballerina, had all the gear, no idea. And I remember I was speaking to my mom about it. And I remember I never wanted to go back because I felt like the fattest girl in the class. Um, and that was at seven years old. And that's kind of where it stemmed from. And then I probably messed with eating disorders from about the age of... Uh, 13, 14. And by the time I was 20, 21, I was really severely anorexic, but still hiding that behind being a, a, a fitness instructor to women. I think there was a huge pressure in the early stages of my career of needing to look a certain way. Um, and that pressure was triggered by um, me just stopping eating and just pushing myself to the limits in the gym and never feeling good enough when I looked at myself and never feeling good enough to be looked at by my clients or the public because it's a very public domain you know you're in the mirror all day so you're looking at yourself all day back it back then I was very judgmental of myself as well and so that toxic cycle just literally led me to um, ending up in hospital actually because I was I was so 
deprived of emotional connection with food. I was so deprived of any, um, any positivity of my own body and body awareness. And obviously I was food deprived as well because I wouldn't eat very much. So that kind of triggered through and um, just carried on really until I was about 24, 25. Then I'd really established a really very good clientele with personal training because, you know, I was the skinny girl and everybody wanted to look like you because you've got the muscles and this and that and the other. But what they didn't see inside was like, it was either feast or famine for me. So I would either not eat anything or completely binge eat because I was just either reaching burnout or slots, probably slightly mildly depressed if I'd put on a few pounds and it kind of, then your brain just triggers, oh, well, if you put on a few pounds, you may as well just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat until you can make yourself ill again. Um, and that kind of went on until when I was with my partner at the time, we decided to have a child and the kind of realizations came in thinking, God, I've done all this to my body. I don't even know if I'm going to get pregnant. You know, I hadn't had a menstrual cycle for like four years. Oh, wow. So was it going to happen? Oh. Um, anyway, it did, thankfully, and it happened quite quickly. But during that time as well, I'd started to really push my business. So I was... Um, I wasn't an entrepreneur when I began. You were called a self-employed. You know? yeah. <laughs> you're a self-employed. You have your own business. It's not, you're an entrepreneur. So that went on and I started um, working with a lot of kind of high-end clients, um, women, even men, stockbrokers, bankers, you know, and they were always just pushing so hard at work and probably making a little bit of time for themselves to go to the gym. And at that point, I still wasn't really connecting on an emotional level with either myself or my clients. It was like, just push, 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 push them harder. They need to come to the gym. They're not to speak to me. You know, they, if they wanted to come and have like the chin wag and the therapy session, I'd be like, no, nope, <laughs> shut up. We're not doing that. We need to get on. You need to work. You've got, you're here to sweat for an hour. You're here to, I'm here to kick your ass for an hour. Um, because at that point, that's what I believed that was needed for them. That was their escape from work or, you know, maybe they would only train three times a week with me and that might be it. So at that point I felt that it was just, I've got to beast them, <laughs> you know? Ah. So even though I had like nutritional coaching at that point, I still probably wasn't, I felt that they didn't want it or it was more the case that that wasn't, there wasn't really enough time within the windows that I had them as personal training to go through all of that. And then obviously running my own business, I then had two children. So by the time I was 30, I had a very successful personal training business. I was leaving the house at quarter to six in the morning. I probably wouldn't get back until maybe, I might sneak back when they finish school for an hour and then shoot straight back to work and then come back again for eight o'clock to give kisses and tuck them into bed. And it was kind of like, it was working an hour, getting paid an hour, working an hour, getting paid for an hour, working out myself. I'd try and work in um, some of my clients wanted me to train with them. So I would train with them. And before you knew it, I could probably clock up 20 hours a week in the gym with teaching classes. And of course that comes with reaching burnout and anxiety, uh, adrenal fatigue, and then um, autoimmune diseases started to hit me because I'd literally just been on, on the go all the time without enough fuel. 
in my body to support it. So it was a realization at that point that this is what female entrepreneurs do to themselves, whether they be a personal trainer, whether they be um, a business coach, whether they be a digital strategist, whether they be a life coach or whatever, they're striving so hard to make things work that they're, they're not actually thriving in their life. Mm-hmm. So my transition was um, actually that my, all of my eating disorders and lots of stress and anxiety had caused, um, it was a, it, it's a vasosacral, I can't say it properly, vasosagal syncope, mm-hmm. which is, and I always get it the wrong way around, so I've probably got the wording wrong. Because I'd become so so anxious that my my blood would stop going to my brain on occasion, and wow. I would actually just pass out. Oh wow! Wow! And this happened. Um, it happened a few times. It happened when I was a teenager, and I never really thought anything of it because I thought people would think I was weird. So I never mm-hmm. said anything. I just kind of thought, mm, it's not. It's like a deja vu. Um, yeah. So pushed off and then um, a few years ago we'd moved there was lots of personal issues going on at the time and the anxiety started to come back even more and I was in a car and unfortunately the incident happened when I was driving so the blood stopped pumping to my brain and I just passed out whilst driving the car and obviously as I'd passed out my foot hit the pedal and I went quite fast um, and smashed into a concrete bollard and 10 other cars. So, you know, thank the Lord that everybody in the car, in the other cars were, were fine. And I honestly don't know what happened. I just remember being woken up and being stretched out of the car. Um, And it's, you know, that, that was, that, that's, it was a lesson. So I look at it now and I see that was a lesson I've learned from it to share my experiences that when you're not looking after yourself on a complete, you know, divine feminine energy and understanding all that you deserve and all that you desire, these things happen. And at that time, it kind of gives me goosebumps now as I'm thinking about it. Um, At the time, because the anxiety and the depression were there, and again, I was still training clients. I was still a PT, so I was still smiling my way through all of it. And I just remember thinking, why didn't I just die? Mm. Why, why, why am I here? Why didn't, why, what, what for? When I feel this way and I feel so low about myself and da, 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 da. So that's when I made the decision to transition into health coaching rather than uh, personal training. So I did my year study with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, which is uh, an American school which they have thousands and thousands and thousands of graduates now um, helping women and men all over the world to live their healthiest and wholesome lifestyle. Um, And so that's where during that time, I wasn't sure of the niche. I was still working with men and albeit I've had men clients throughout my entire career. My decision came to help this I can't seem to find in the dictionary another word for busy because <laughs> that's what we all are right now, right? Everybody in this in this millennial world is busy or just hectic or doesn't seem to have enough time. And it's about if you do not create enough time, then it's not important enough to you. So if you are a woman who is 
who is just kind of striving and not thriving, then it's time to take a reality check, take some time back and really start to focus on what is important to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And long gone are the days where I need to spend three hours in the gym to work out or, you know, count my calories or count my macronutrients or, you know, can't have this on that day and da, 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 da. And helping female entrepreneurs, particularly as a, as a, a mum and as a busy business owner, entrepreneur, as I was then, <laughs> you know, with two small children and balancing, literally balancing. And I was a single mum as well in between all of that. You know, so finding some harmony within a lifestyle is, a, is what you create it. So I wanted to share with women how they can create, whether they are, whether they're a mum or not, whether they're a single mum or not, or whether they're just kind of making excuses to not live the healthiest and happiest lifestyle that they can have. That is quite the story. I'm like, okay. (laughs) That's so incredible. It's it's interesting because I see a lot of myself in your same story. Um, I was also a personal trainer about the same age. And um, more in college, I was dealing with body issues, not to the point of, serious eating disorders but I would stop eating for like a meal I'd skip a meal for the sake of wanting to lose weight not to like because now it's more of like an intermittent fasting or I'll fast for spiritual reasons but yeah. back then I'm like, I need to lose weight I'm not going to eat um and then yeah so and I did the personal training and like I think and maybe that's just me and you can guess to this but I think the the lifestyle of a personal trainer is not of health which is so interesting because I went through the same thing where I would sit with a client and I knew that their issues came from an emotional issue, not a physical, they need to work out issue. And so there's not enough hours in the day with your clients for you to sit down and say, hey, what's going on? Why are you eating? Why are you not working out? And you would never get to the why of that. Um, so yeah, I was, I understand. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's really hard when you're a trainer because sometimes they don't want that because they don't, right. I mean, right. I know I've been coach, therapist, relationship coach, and everything to my clients, you know, because I used to train like men and wives, or then I, then they divorced, and I trained the man and the wife and the girlfriend and the boyfriend, and I'd have to make sure that they weren't all in the gym at the same time, and all these logistics used to go on. So in, in between being that coach and, you know, therapy session, there wasn't enough time to kind of say, are you eating? What are you eating? Can you kind of tell me can you take pictures so I can see through the day if you're having enough to nurture and nourish your body and you know like you say and then you just kind of go yeah yeah, yeah I'm fine I haven't eaten for 10 hours actually but I'm fine <laughs> Doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, you know what I hear from sorry what I hear from Catherine's story and also from your story and my own personal experience is there's so much more eating disorders and unhealthy behaviors that really are occurring in the fitness community than we even talk about or acknowledge. Um, So can you tell us about like your experience, all your years as a a personal trainer, and maybe some of those unhealthy behaviors that you witnessed Mm -hmm. in the fitness community? Yeah, it, I mean, for me, personally, being in the mirror all the time, it was that body dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. And I, and it's as I've, as I've matured into my role as a health coach, probably more so than when I was a personal trainer, mm-hmm. I hear it even up to the point of last year when I was still training clients. It's like, you know, if I train a, a pet, a, 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 
friends together. Oh, but you've got great boobs. No, I've got crap boobs. Yeah, but look at your ass. I've got a great ass. I'd love your ass. My ass is this. And it was all that self-criticism, you know? So your, the, the self-criticism would come from your clients. And sometimes I think as a personal trainer, if you're not um, emotionally intelligent enough at that time, you mm. can take start judging yourself. Yeah. You think, well, what's my trainer thinking of me? If I don't perform in that certain way, what are they going to think of me? If I gain weight, what are they going to think of me? Mm. You know, and a lot of pressure. And if you've got really hot, like PTs, young PTs in the gym, and you're kind of, you've been doing it a bit of a long time and you've been hanging around, you know, you're thinking, yeah, I really need to up my game because, you know, I need to lift a bit heavier or I need to do a few more sets or something. Um, mm-hmm. Or run, it, that was my thing. I would run, 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 run. And I think, I think there was, you know what? I think this is very prominent in men as well in the gym. I know we're talking about women, but I think for men, (laughs) so much more, you know, and you can see the testosterone and they're like, he's lifting heavier weights. I'm going to lift heavier weights or he's a bit leaner. So I'm not going to eat any carbs. And, you know, I think I can see it more in, in the men. Especially I can gym. attest as a woman who is stronger than a lot of men. Yeah, I, I get that a lot of times where they're uh-huh, like, <laughs> yeah. So, but it's it's yeah. you know I think you're so right on. Like we don't even talk about the body image issues that men have, no. but you know in the fitness community, I think even you know when asking that question, I was more focused on the women, but it's like you said, it's even the men in our lives who are struggling with these body image issues as well. Totally, totally. You know, and it, I think for men particularly, they don't get, you know, endomorph, ectomorph, mesomorph, all that differences makes a massive difference to how, and for men as well, how your muscle grows. So if you are smaller, you grow muscle mass quicker. If you're taller, you're never going to look like the guy that's five foot five. You know, you're six foot two. How You've got to work so much harder to be able yeah. to get those results and that's you know what i was saying about the women comparing they were both petite these particular ladies both petite but very different body shapes completely so she was never going to look like her and she was never going to look like her even though she wanted this that she had and she wanted that that she had it's like girls come on i'm going to record it next time you're amazing look at you (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's yeah, sorry, go ahead if you needed to. Um, I'm curious as, I'm just gonna jump right into this question. At your worst with your eating disorders, what did that look like? Because I think, cause like in my mind, I wouldn't say necessarily I had an eating disorder, but I was probably on a spectrum. And for other women out there, maybe who just don't understand what that spectrum looks like, like at your worst, what did that look like even at, you're not worst. What did that look like? Like, what am I trying to say? <laughs> what is the, the range of behaviors? Exactly. Yeah. What's the range of behaviors that you were, you've seen or you've exhibited in eating disorders? I would, so I was teaching classes. I was also attend classes. So I was probably doing about 20 classes a week, plus running, plus training in the gym. Um, some days I'd eat an apple and maybe a black coffee, maybe a wow. yogurt. And- and then if I felt gross the next day, I wouldn't eat anything and I'd run a little bit further. Um, and it got to the point where I'm 5'8", and my lowest weight was about 43 kilos. 
what so I don't know what that is. Yeah, I'm gonna wake up later. Wow. That's crazy. Forty-four kilos. It's something it was between forty-three ninety-seven pounds about. Wow. Okay. About ninety-seven pounds. Yeah. So for a five foot eight woman, that's yeah. that's very small. Yeah. And I remember I used to live in the Channel Islands at this time and I used to run. And we used to have pound notes. They weren't coins like a dollar note or whatever. Yeah. And I always put it in my trainer, uh, in my sneakers. And I was running, um, didn't feel right. The sun was shining anyway, but I could just feel my head just felt so itchy and I, I couldn't mm. touch it. And then I went to get the bottle of water in the shop that I always got it before I went back to the gym where I worked. And I remember taking the water and I couldn't put it near my lips. And what happened is my blood vessels are dilated to the surface and my lips looked like I didn't need any lip fillers or anything like that. They'd gone like proper trout pout. Um, my body what? was, wow. it was itchy. It was hot. It was cold. And I managed to get, I know it's weird. Your body goes into kind of like, it was shut down protection mode. I think it was wow. trying to swell itself to sort itself out. But I remember getting back to the gym and they saw me and my body started to convulse. So it kind of went, it convulsed and then went to spasm so I couldn't move, um, which is the weirdest thing. And um, it gives me kind of goosebumps now to think about it. But um, anyway, the ambulance came and they put me on a drip and took me to the hospital and it kept happening again while I was in the, the ambulance. Wow. And I remember, I remember they gave me just literally like squash you know, orange squash to try and get that back in as well as the, the drips. And I remember they let me go to the bathroom and as I was in the bathroom, it happened again. So, and I couldn't do anything because I was just, I had no control of my body. Um, it was like a fit, like an epileptic fit, but then it, it almost, it just stopped rigid. So you couldn't move my body at all. Wow, oh, that gives me goosebumps, oh my God, okay. No. And again, the psychology of that then was, having a slap on the hand because one of the doctors was a member of the gym. So having a slap, being told, silly girl, da, 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 you know what to do, blah, 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 blah. Make sure you take rest. And at five o'clock the next morning, I felt so gross because I'd had all these stuff pumped into me that automatically went into your stomach. So my stomach felt bloated. It didn't feel like it belonged to me. So I was up there's not there's no mountains in Jersey but there is one big hill um so I decided to take myself off and hike up the hill at five o'clock in the morning just to start to get my body moving so I could try and rid of this um feeling because you, what what many people who have never experienced something like anorexia or bulimia is that it is a complete control and that was out of my control because somebody else had done it I could control if I didn't want milk in my coffee. I could, you know, it would be stupid things like if I had a green salad, there was to be no onions and no dressing in it. It would just green salad. If it came with anything else, it would just be, can you take it back and change it, please? And not even knowingly, you know, I'd be so kind of, oh my God, they put onions in it. Or, oh my God, there's something on it. I cannot have that because onions make your breath smell. And if I'd eaten something that had onions, people would know that I'd eaten and they would associate that it was all this like weird stuff that goes through your head while it's, yeah. Um, so, and then uh, literally within six months of that happening, there was a massive switch and I doubled my weight within six months. Wow. And went on the road of bulimia. 
Wow. And then you, and then you shifted to bulimia where you were like binging and, and purging. Yeah, totally. Wow. And it was that because like, what, like what was the transition? Like, to, from anorexia to bulimia, was it this these health complications that were coming up, or yeah, there was a there was an uh, an emotional trigger, there was a mm. family there was a family emotional trigger, um, and I just I remember buying, and I don't really like chocolate, I don't know why it was just that binge cycle. I bought yeah. the biggest, and I'm talking big, massive. Do you you know Toblerone? You know, yeah, guys, Toblerone. Um, I bought the biggest, biggest bar I could find. And over a period of me traveling from Jersey to the UK, I'd eaten the entire thing. And then felt like I was just gorging. So I needed to eat more, whether it be bread or stodge or ice cream, which can't eat either. And then if that, um, if I couldn't get rid of it and I couldn't make myself sick enough, I would then start the cycle of taking laxatives. So that I knew it was going to come out some way. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so interesting because I was never quote unquote diagnosed with an eating disorder, but I had so many disordered eating um, behavior patterns where, you know, I would do the same thing where I would really restrict myself and not eat for like a period of time or really limit myself. And then I would binge or the laxative thing was a huge thing where it was like, if I was feeling bloated or like my weight went up a little bit, I'm like, I'm just going to take a bunch of laxatives and just get everything out of my system. And like, would just, and being somebody who's bigger, I never thought that I could have an eating disorder. So that was like, I never thought that was possible because I wasn't, you know, like 97 pounds or like stick thin. So I didn't think that that was possible for me, but through my, you know, recovery over the past couple years, acknowledging that that was part of my journey has really helped me to heal that part of my story. So I would like to know, like, what helped you heal your story and overcome this? I mean, just crazy path you know I mean you've been through so much in your past and now you're really a beacon of light for so many women who are overcoming eating disorders and trying to live their best life it's so it's it's trying to realize the triggers and I know for a fact for me when I was little you know it sits in your subconscious and oh she's a bit chunky oh isn't she cute she's chunky and you know I I don't really think I was when I look back at, at photographs but Something that somebody says to you repeatedly obviously has a reaction. Every action is a reaction from somebody else. And I think it just, it, it just I'll tell you where the eating disorder of the anorexia started. My boyfriend at the time, going back many years ago, his mom was a larger lady. And just flippantly, I said, would you still love me if I was as big as your mom? No. and that was it that was the trigger that was the I I remember it I can see it we're at a fuel station in a red car I know the exact thing and that's what started that cycle and trigger going really really you know to the next spiral level I mean it you know at school um 
I was vegetarian from 11 years old to 23, but then I would start making excuses if we'd go out to restaurants that was nothing on the, on the menu that I could eat. Um, oh, it's okay, I'll just have the green salad, it's fine because there's nothing on the menu for me. So it's, you know, don't make a fuss, it's fine. But really, it was okay because I could just brush it off. Um, so that was that emotional trigger. And as I said, from the other side of the eating disorder to go to bulimia, it was an emotional trigger again uh, from a family issue. And I think what balanced it out, I was, I was 23, I was managing a health club, had lots of responsibility. I started to get my uh, shit together, if you like, mm -hmm. and realized that I was constantly living with IBS, constantly in pain. Um, you know, I was embarrassed to teach classes at some points because I would still do my, all my classes as well as running the club. And because if anybody knows about I IBS, you can literally bloat within an hour of looking like you're six, seven months pregnant. Oh, and I would be, I'd become more embarrassed and it would either be, you know, and that's, that's from the laxatives. That's from me messing up my system. That that's an autoimmune issue because obviously there was no, there wasn't enough good bacteria to fuel the bad bacteria in my stomach at the time. And then I just started to get healthier. I started to lose weight. I started to, because bread was always the bad thing for me. It's what triggered the IBS. It's if I had bread, I didn't know when to stop eating bread. Um, or, you know, just stupid things. Like it, in my really bad state of bulimia, I just grab, do you know scones? Like the British scones? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I grabbed them. And I just shovel, 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 shovel them in. And I knew it was going to make me feel poorly. But I'd be like, yeah. no, I just got to eat them. I don't care if there's nothing on it. I just got to shovel them in and get as many as I can. Um, and my mum would sometimes, if I was staying with my mum, I'd kind of take half. And I'd think, oh, just have all of them. You know, there's like four or six in a pack. I'll have them all. Um, so it was about knowing what foods. Mm -hmm. If I start, can I stop? Mm -hmm. If I know that's going to take me on that cycle, can I stop doing it? So I just cut out all the foods that I knew were a trigger that would make it happen for me. So the bread went, the, um, the bread went, I didn't eat pasta. I rarely ate potatoes. I would just cut uh, ice cream because obviously I, I, my pattern would be eat a, a carton of ice cream, eat some jelly babies, go be sick. Yeah. So they're all the foods I know, stay away from them. You don't need them. And, and that's what I still do now. I, I find it really difficult to approach those foods because it might happen. Um, and it's about, you know, nurturing your body again. So realizing that because of all the stuff that I did, and I do believe that everything I've gone through is a lesson to share with everybody else. So I've learned it the hard way so that somebody else doesn't have to. If we can help sooner because it would always be the case you know if you'd see somebody in the gym and you knew they were anorexic it would always be Alison can you go and talk to them no I can't I'm not clinically able to approach them because I don't know what effect me going to them is going to have on them I said I can't just tell them to not come into the gym this could be her only escapism this could be her space for what she needs to care in her own mind so it's not our place to tell her she can't come here and it's not my place without building a relationship to go and tell her that yeah. she can't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, 
been a been a journey, but I understand <laughs> and I can see other people's emotional triggers, which is why I ask, where do you think this started from? Can you relate or understand how? And I'll never forget one lady in particular um, was really heavy, um, a young girl, young woman, but really, really heavy, um, twice the size what she should be, joint pain, back pain, skin issues. Um, and I said, you know, we got a little bit closer in our relationship and I asked her the question and she said, it was when my parents separated at 10. Mm. And she was in her forties. So she knew that, that that comforting stage of eating the whole packet of biscuits when she was feeling emotional was what she would do to kind of sound out all the, the noise that was going on at that period. But that had followed her through. So her children had then gone off to boarding school. She was emotional about that. So there was another trigger and another trigger and another trigger and another trigger. Um, so, I, I, you know, I don't know where she's at right now, but that was about five years ago when, when I moved. So, but I knew that it was still there, but I wasn't, I, I didn't know enough then to help her as much as I could if I'd stepped back into it right now. Mm-hmm. But everything, everything has an emotional trigger. And sometimes it's when we don't believe in ourselves enough, we, we do it. Like you were saying, when you were in the gym, you know, you'd probably miss a meal if you felt that, you know, you, you just need to lose a few pounds or imagine you take some laxatives because you just felt you, you didn't feel right. But did you not feel right? Or did you think that you didn't look right to other people? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's usually worrying about what we look like to other people. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to sit here and talk with you all day. <laughs> like, dang it. Nobody, yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God. I just have so many questions. Um, unfortunately, we don't have all day. I know. <laughs> Damn it. But I do ask, um, is there anything that you would, would what I'm trying to say, you would have liked us to ask you? Are there any questions that we didn't bring up that you'd like to answer yourself? Elise, I could be in here all night. I've got so many <laughs> stories to share and so many different journeys. Um, no, I just think, I think women are amazing creatures, amazing just human beings that are able to do, be and create so much more than sometimes they allow themselves permission to do. And I think that's why women like you and me and all the other empowering women that are out there are just literally spreading the message that that's what women can be. We're no longer victims of any circumstances we have a right to make a decision you know and i always i it always really frustrates me when how periods of time have gone on i mean if you look back queen cleopatra um queen esther queen elizabeth they're all queens ruling countries and then suddenly there's this big divide of where women can't get to being the ceo of the company they can't be the director they feel that they can't have a voice they're always competing with the man i'm like Look back in history, would you? Take a look <laughs> at these things. They were like setting the precedents thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, and literally stepping into their queenhood and being incredible, magnificent women. And somewhere along the line, as we've got to today's age, we forgot about it. And gradually, we're just starting to come back up to literally not sit quietly, that to look at ourselves with the same amount of respect that 
When I say a man, we've already covered that a man sometimes can have image issues, but I think they don't have as many as a woman does because we feel that we have to be something that we're not. And it's about absolutely no owning every single part of you, owning all of you. And if you're not happy with it, you don't need to change. You just need to create what you want to become. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like you said, I think women especially, we're kind of told that we have to look a certain way versus guys. Like I think so much of our worth and our value as women comes out of how we look, right? Because we're supposed to be, you know, the beautiful like species, right? So we're supposed to look a specific way. And so I, you know, like we talked about, I do think men have their own issues, but I really believe that women, especially the, the pressure is just totally different that we have on ourselves to look a specific way. Yeah, so I, I just love the work that you're doing because it's so important in this world. Yeah. So our final question that we ask all of our guests, um, you know, because this is the uplifting podcast and we want to give our listeners, you know, action steps that they can start using in their lives to create the positive change that they're desiring. What would be three things that you could give our listeners that they could start implementing in their lives today to start being more uplifted? One of the things that I personally started to shift was my messaging to myself, even when I'm brushing my teeth. You know, Mm. I look at yourself and if you see wrinkles or you see scars or you see things that are different that, that you would have previously liked to change, thank you. I'm thankful that I have this scar because it reminds me that I'm still here. I'm thankful that my nose is a bit beaky because it makes me a bit different and a bit quirky. I am thankful for the way that my, my, my smile slants. It's about turning all the things around that you weren't happy with to make them positive when you're just brushing your teeth. Super easy. When you look at yourself in a reflection, walking past a window, instead of giving yourself self-criticism and self-judgment, it's like, oh, look at you. Look at all you are. Look at all you've achieved. And that was a big shift for me because when I would look in the mirror and see my ass not looking quite how it would, I wanted it to. The negative voice would be, ugh, that's disgusting. You need to wrap that up. People can't see that. Da, da, da. And I remember seeing it again this summer in a reflection in shorts and I went, okay, it's not quite where it needs to be. I need to work on that. Mm-hmm. instead of the you know the real negative things and number three is just literally nurture yourself nurture yourself look after yourself from the inside out when you put the nutrition in you get so much more out of your life it's like expecting the fish to flourish in the sea when it's in a drought how is yeah. that going to happen it needs mm-hmm. it needs to it needs to have a current it needs to flow it needs to be fresh it needs to be clear And that's what you need to do with your nutrition because that changes your whole outlook of life. When you're, you're eating, I almost want to say the rainbow of colors, it makes you happier because food changes your mood. So really do change your language, look in your body, look at your body with respect and gratitude and nurture yourself from the inside out. Love it. Amazing. Allison, thank you so much for being with us. This has been been and I'm going to get to Hawaii now because it's cold. Yes. Come, come, come hang out. <laughs> um, for our audience, if they would like to connect with you, how is the, how can they do that? How can they best connect with you? 
Uh, well, I have called the company Vibrant Balanced Health. So they can find me on Instagram, which is vibrant underscore balanced underscore health. I'm going to okay. sneeze. <laughs> Bless you. Um, <laughs> thank you. On Facebook, um, I have a private group. It's, um, I can't remember all the URLs, but it's um, Vibrant Balanced Health for aspiring female entrepreneurs. So that's the private Facebook group. And my website is in the process of being redone. But when it's ready, then it will just be vibrantbalancedhealth.com. I'll put all of awesome. the information down below in the description thank and the message. Thank you. That. Allison, thank you so much for being here. We so appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time. Loved it. Thank you so much for sharing a piece of your day with us. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on. To continue the conversation, follow Catherine and Randy on social media. Our links are listed in the show notes. We can't wait to share another powerful story with you next week. And until then, stay stay uplifted. uplifted.